Matthew chapter number 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's, let's pray. Father, help us now. Open our hearts and our minds, and give us, dear God, the things that we have need of. Thank you for the testimonies, the video. Thank you for a wonderful, incredible week at camp, and the way that all of our hearts were touched. I pray now, in this time that you'll, you'll bless and minister to us through your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. We're in a series called Lessons from the Holy Land, and we're talking about places that we have visited. And, and uh, we talked last week, if you were here, about Gideon's Spring and the lessons that we learned from what took place there at Gideon's Spring and how that God took a handful of people and he used them to defeat one of the great armies that ever gathered in the Bible. And uh, so we don't have to be, uh, it was 300 men against 135,000. You don't have to be the biggest because God is. You don't have to be the strongest because God is. You don't have to be uh, the mightiest because God is. And God is able to take things that logistically will not work and bring them about for his honor and for His glory. I'm going to talk with you today about the Jordan River. Because in the Bible, it's a prominent place. It's mentioned 197 times uh, in the Scripture. And there's nothing sacred about it. If, if you could go with me uh, to the Holy Land, you would see that there's no healing qualities in its waters. In fact, in the spot where Jesus was baptized, which was not in Galilee, it was in, in near Jericho, the waters there are, are not pristine whatsoever. It's not, I don't know, in the south you have a baptistry and in the back they paint this beautiful picture and there's palm trees and the sun is setting and the water is aqua blue and that's the scene behind you as you get baptized many times in, in the baptistries in the deep south. Let me help you with this. That's not what it looks like in reality at the Jordan River uh, there near Jericho. It's muddy, and the place itself is extraordinarily unattractive. The only reason people go there to this spot is because it's where Jesus was baptized, and they think that it's something spiritual in being baptized in those muddy waters of the Jordan River. Now, I don't do that. On our trips, we don't baptize people in the Jordan River simply because of the fact I don't want to take a ordinance of the scripture and turn it into what I call a holy land trinket. So we don't do communion there in the garden. We don't baptize there. I believe those are local church ordinances. And so I leave them uh, with the local church. And I've been criticized for that. Uh, 
but, but that's fine. I, that's just my conviction. I don't want to turn something sacred into just a photo op. And so, and so we don't do that. Now, in our text this morning that we read, you will notice that the journey for Jesus begins in Galilee. And uh, he makes that journey then to be baptized by John the Baptist. Galilee is green and fertile. A much nicer place to be baptized as it comes out of the Sea of Galilee. A much nicer part of the Jordan River. But Jesus didn't choose that because of its beauty. Uh, rather, uh, he went into the wilderness of Judea. you find that a few verses above where we read. He left the green, fertile land of Galilee, traveled into the uh, wilderness of Judea, and was baptized there in that wilderness. By the way, after his baptism, that's exactly where Christ was tempted uh, in chapter 4 uh, for 40 days and for 40 nights. Now, the journey, this is significant, the journey from Galilee okay, to Jericho, uh, the Jordan near Jericho is 75 miles. Now let me help you with this. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, have, uh, he didn't have a uh, stagecoach or a taxi cab that brought him there, okay? 75 miles is a difficult journey. And in fact, a journey of like 21 miles in the Bible is called a three days journey. So they, they didn't travel long distance because you're not talking about a paved straight road. You're talking about having to scramble over uh, difficult terrain and things like that. So at, at the least 75 miles probably would have taken him the better part of a week to get there. And so we know that there was, um, uh, there, there was some uh, importance placed upon uh, uh, the place and the person and uh, the fact that Jesus was baptized because it took quite a bit of effort to get there. Now have you ever wondered why Jesus was baptized? We know why we are baptized. It's because we're saved and baptism is a picture of salvation, what happens in our heart. And so much like me putting on a wedding ring when I married my wife back in 1975, baptism is me simply saying, I have a relationship now with Jesus and I'm going to wear the wedding ring. I'm going to put on the wedding ring and I'm going to let everybody know that I have a relationship with, uh, with Jesus Christ. That's the, and so baptism, um, baptism is the spiritual wedding band of our relationship with Christ, and it's the first step of obedience that the Lord uh, requires of us after we're saved. Now go with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and we're going to find ourselves on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Pentecost has happened. The Word of God has been preached, and 3,000 people have been saved. In verse number 41 of Acts chapter 2, if you'll look there, the Bible says, Then they that, what's that next word? What is it? Gladly. Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized... And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So these people were, they followed the Lord in baptism and, and were obedient to Him in baptism and became a part of the church there. 
But, but that doesn't answer the question, why did Jesus get baptized? Why, what was his purpose in doing so? He was baptized as our example. Okay, He led the way. Jesus was willing to do for us what, what, we ask, what he asked us to do for him. So Jesus was baptized as an example for me in order to ask me and to lead me in following him. Uh, to follow him in what we call believer's baptism. Now listen to me carefully. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, one of the steps in following Jesus is not just being saved, but it's in following him in what we call believer's baptism, scriptural baptism from the Bible. Now this isn't a feel-good message, and it's not a pressure message. I'm not, my intent is not to pressure anybody today. My intent today is to give out information that might help you make an a, a, um, uh, intelligent decision that you, might, that you might need to make in your life. So the, don't feel pressure, because if you have it, it's not for me. It's, it's of your own making or the Holy Spirit's dealing in your life. Because I, I don't intend that to be this way at all. It's not a feel-good message in that I don't have a really touchy illustration to throw in somewhere or at the end of the story where you might weep and cry and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to do that today. This is, a, this is an informational um, message that I, I want to take with you. Now, let me talk with you about baptism and what the Bible teaches about it. First of all, and this is so vitally important, let me say this to you before I give you this point. I've lost more people over this point than anything in all of my ministry ever. Okay. More people have walked away and said, nah. More people have left church because of this illustration, than, 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 because of this point, than anything that I have ever said. And that is, first of all, you have to have the right authority. You've got to have the right authority for baptism. I don't know if you remember it years ago, there were people back in the 70s, in the 60s when everybody was having a great time and ushering in utopia and the Jesus people and a lot of groups like that were being very popular they were baptizing just anybody were baptizing in swimming pools and at oceans and things like that well it's nice and it feels good and they're absolutely sincere but the problem with it is not everybody has the authority to baptize let me help you with this my name is Dean Herring okay I did go to camp also and I graduated from Bible college, okay? I surrendered my life to preach at 4700 Skidaway Road, Savannah, Georgia, Bible Baptist Church, and, and uh, was on staff at my church, okay? I've been doing this since I was 17 years old, and I have no authority to baptize whatsoever apart from the authority that is granted to me by South Valley Baptist Church. I don't have the authority just to go down to an ocean somewhere and say, you believe in Jesus? Okay, dunk. I, I can't do that. Neither can anyone else. And so the very foundational understanding that we have to have for baptism is we have to understand that, that uh, we have to have the right authority. Why in the world would Jesus Christ leave the plush greenness of Galilee travel all the way to the brown deadness of the Judean wilderness to be baptized by John the Baptist in Jordan River near Jericho, which is the least pristine place uh, in that entire area. Why would he do that? Because it's obvious that God, that John was under the authority 
of, of, of uh, uh, the Father, and as the forerunner of Christ, he, he had the author, uh, authority, he was authorized to baptize. Nobody else was baptizing. Okay? This wasn't where there were 25 different ministries out all along the Jordan River baptizing people. It was John. Now, John would soon be beheaded. John was going to have his head cut off. And, and the authority to baptize was then given to Jesus Christ and the apostles who represented that very first century church. And so, so uh, as he establishes that church with his apostles, John chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says this, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Now listen to this verse. Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. And so now we're, 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 finding, we're finding the forerunning ministry of Christ with John the Baptist is, remember, he said, I must de decrease so that he must increase. And so now John's ministry is beginning to decrease, and the Lord's ministry is increasing. <clears throat> and so now Jesus, through his disciples, they're baptizing because they represented that first church. It's important to note who he's talking about. And it's the 11 apostles that are with him uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And so we, we find the continuity. We find the continuity of this. If you'll study this, you'll find this is true. When the Lord had, when, when, when Jesus had the Lord's Supper, the people that were present there were his apostles. It was, it was handed off to that first century church. Mary wasn't there. The greater group of the disciples were not there. The man that owned the upper room was not there. The only people that were there in the presence of the Lord during the Lord's Supper were his apostles. And before, before communion was instituted, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot and he left. Okay. The next time we find the Lord's Supper given, we find, we find it given to uh, the Corinthian church. And so every time that you find baptism and you find communion given, it's always in relation to the, uh, the local uh, New Testament church. Two ordinances that were given, baptism and communion, and they're the only institutions that have the authority to baptize. I had a guy ask me one time, will you come to the, to come to the hotel room? He wasn't a member of our church. Would you come to our hotel room and administer communion to me? I can't do that. I don't have the authority to do that. That authority is given uh, to the local church. Somebody says, well, I was baptized by the Bible college I attended. Well, Jesus didn't establish a Bible college. And I have no earthly idea why any Bible college would do something like that and take away the authority that was given to the local church. Um, I was baptized at a men's conference after I surrendered my life. Well, Jesus didn't establish a men's conference. I've been to them, I speak at them, but, but they certainly don't have the authority to baptize. I got baptized at a youth camp when I was young. That's wonderful. We just heard testimony from young people at youth camp, but we don't baptize teenagers at our youth camp. Do you know why? Because Jesus didn't establish a youth camp. Men did. Jesus established the local church, and it's very, very important. I had a guy tell me one time, well, there was a group of pastors traveling around the valley, and they baptized me. Well, that's wonderful. 
But those group of pastors have no authority to baptize anybody in and of themselves. It's only granted uh, through the local church. Somebody said, well, I got baptized in a home church. By the way, can I say this to you? There's no such thing as a home church. There's no such thing as a home church. There are churches that meet in homes, but just because you decide to get together and have a Bible study doesn't make it a church, okay? And, and, and Jesus did not grant the authority to a dad to just baptize his children or, or whatever. Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5, 25. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now that's a serious statement. And so we need to realize, and rec- this is written to the church at Ephesus. Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it. So never underestimate, never devalue the importance and the authority of of the local church, which is called, don't ever take it lightly. Why? Because it's supposed to be the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and the ground of the truth. That's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. It's the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So rather than devaluing church, which is happening everywhere today, everywhere today, the idea is that you can bypass the local church and you can go off and have a parachurch ministry, a parachurch organization, and it has as much authority to do uh, the things that the, that the church itself does. That's just not true. Let me help you with this. Jesus, Jesus established a church. He died for the church. He loved the church. And He has never bypassed the local church. So never feel like the church has somehow, in the eyes of God, become irrelevant, or that somehow you can circumvent what Jesus established. There's no other organization on earth. Men have started a lot of good things that are friendly and friends, and we thank God for them, for everybody that's doing anything for God. But the institution that Jesus established when He was here was the local New Testament church never ever allow anybody to devalue that in your mind. Second thing is this, you must have not just the right authority for baptism, you got to have the right candidate. Now, in order for somebody to be scripturally baptized, they have to be saved. Okay? Salvation always precedes baptism. Now, I was sprinkled when I was a child. I, I, you can probably see that, the glow about me and the fact that my I have an aura that is meaningful to you because I was sprinkled as a baby. But it, it meant nothing. You know why? First of all, because sprinkling isn't, isn't biblical baptism. Second of all, because it wouldn't have mattered if it was because you have to be saved in order for baptism to mean anything. If I took this ring off, flipped it over on the floor, and Elijah ran up and picked it up and put it on his finger, you know what it would mean? That he stole my ring. Elijah, don't do that. If Elijah ran and picked up my ring and put it on his finger, you know what it would mean? Nothing. Why? Because he's not married. It would just mean he has a ring on his finger. But it would signify nothing. And so, and so to be baptized without having a relationship, without entering into a relationship through salvation means nothing whatsoever. Remember this, remember this process. We read it in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that, number one, gladly received his word... Okay, number one. Number two, we're, we're baptized, okay? So what's the first step? 
The first step is gladly receiving the word. The second step is they were baptized. Okay? And that's always, that's always the process that it takes place. Philip was an evangelist. We know that from reading the Bible that was sent out from the church at Jerusalem. And he witnessed to the eunuch in, in, uh, that was from Ethiopia. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 36, let me read that for you. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? All right, so he's getting the cart before the horse a little bit. And, and, and yet, here's what Philip said to him, If thou believest with all thy heart. So the belief, the faith, precedes the act of baptism. And without that act, without the salvation, baptism means nothing whatsoever. Now, years ago under the guise of covenant theology, there was a, there was a um, idea of infant baptism that came up. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into the history of that, simply to say that it is one of the most damnable doctrines that has ever been perpetrated in the name of Christ because it deceives people into thinking, well, I was baptized as a baby, I'm all good. Okay? Even when I got saved as a 12-year-old boy, I went to my pastor, Otis Vinesad, at at Bonabella Baptist Church in Savannah, and I sat down with him, and I said, I believe my baptism's good because I was sincere, and if you're sincerely baptized in the sands of the Sahara Desert, God would accept it. And I remember, I remember him kindly looking at me, smiling, and saying, you didn't think that up on your own. Somebody told you that. And he was right. He was right. And then he took his Bible and, and very patiently with a young boy explained to me the importance of baptism. And I'll never forget the day that I yielded my life and my pride and was willing to follow Christ and believers' baptism and what that did for my spiritual growth. And so I'm grateful for that. And let me just say that down through the centuries, Anabaptists have lost their heads. Anna, re, re-baptize. Your, your, baptism, your baptism isn't valid because you're baptized in a church that believes in infant baptism, okay? That's, that's, not, that's not valid. And so um, that's been a problem historically for New Testament churches down through the ages. Third thing I want to say to you is that you must have the right mode, okay? Now what does that mean? Well, the only mode that, of baptism that pictures burial is immersion. Again, sprinkling does nothing, okay? You may have never heard of this, but there are some churches that actually pour. And so you come before them and you get saved, hopefully, and then they pour water over you. That's not how you bury either. And so the Scripture says, the Scripture says, in Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. So He had gone down into the water in order to be baptized, and, uh, and it was done so. John chapter 3. Let me read a verse of Scripture for you there, talking about John baptizing and where he baptized. John chapter 3, verse 23, And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem, because there was much water there. Okay? So the emphasis is on the fact that there, this is the place where there's a, there's a lot of water. You can't baptize in a pitcher. You can't baptize in a fountain. You've got to find a place where there's a lot of water and, uh, and, and they came, the Bible says, and were baptized. All right, so here's baptism. 
Watch. Baptism is a picture of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. That's what the gospel is. Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. Baptism pictures that. It also pictures what took place in my life as a 12-year-old boy when I heard Bobby Richardson give the gospel. I had an old life, but I died to the old dean, and through Christ and his shed blood on Calvary for me, I was resurrected to new life. So a lot of, a lot of times you'll hear a pastor that baptizes, he'll say, buried in the likeness of his death, resurrected to new life, okay? And, and that's, that's a perfect picture, because that's what baptism has to do. It has to picture something that has already happened in your heart and in your life, and the only thing that does that, it's not pouring and it's not sprinkling, it's immersion. Fourth of all, you need to have the right doctrine. So what we say oftentimes is that we, we, um, we accept baptism from churches of like faith. What does that mean, okay? From, from, from like faith. We, we are identifying. How do you identify a New Testament church? You identify it by doctrine. That's how you identify it. Nobody can go back and trace their church all the way back to Jesus. So what, what do we do? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And so what we're looking for, uh, obviously, is, is uh, the things that are doctrinally taught in the New Testament. It's not just the name Baptist, because there are churches... In the South, like um, free will Baptist churches that believe you can lose your salvation. There's hard shell Baptist churches that, that, that believe you have to earn your salvation. And let me just tell you this. Um, that's not taught in the Scripture. We're saved by grace through faith. Okay? And, and so the reality of the matter is it's not something that I have to earn or can earn. It's not something that God gives me because I'm such a great guy whatsoever. And so there's a, there's a doctrinal thing that has to be there and uh, in, in order for it to be a church uh, of like faith. Go with me to Acts 19. Let me show you a portion of Scripture here that's interesting. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, and notice that they're called disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto them, to, to him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism, and then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So doctrinally, they were, they were way off base. They, first of all, they were looking for the Messiah, not realizing that the Messiah had, had even come. And so their, their baptism, Paul brought it into question and, and the Holy Spirit was indwelling all believers since the day of Pentecost, but they were ignorant of this doctrinal truth. And so Paul straightened them out on the doctrine, and in order to be identified with the church and the doctrine, they submitted themselves uh, to getting their, their baptism uh, right. Now, so a church of like faith is not a church that believes you can lose your salvation, okay? 
there's an issue of eternal security of the believer. And we believe with all of our hearts that Jesus died, and He gave unto us what? Everlasting life, eternal life. Those are not hard words to understand. So if what He gave me was everlasting, that means it's going to last forever. Okay? If He gave unto me something that's eternal, what, who, is, who else is eternal? God. And so God, as long as God is eternal, as long as God is, the salvation I got as a 12-year-old boy is. Because it's not based upon Dean. It's based in my faithfulness to him. It's based upon God and his faithfulness to me. And, and, and so it's important that, that we understand uh, doctrine and what we have to believe uh, about doctrine and what makes a church uh, of, of like faith. Not churches that sprinkle or churches that, 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 that pour. The New Testament church, listen to me carefully. The New Testament church was, was birthed long before Constantine saw his vision and formed a state church. Sometimes when we're taking our tours to the Holy Land, somebody talks about Constantine and, and the great thing he did. Can I tell you this? What Constantine did in marrying church and uh, state did more damage to the cause of Christ than anything in the history of the New Testament church. More people were butchered burned at the stake and killed during the inquisitions than at any other time in the history of the world. So listen to me carefully. Churches that were birthed out of the Roman Catholic Church did not come from the doctrine of the New Testament. Now people get mad at me about that, but that's just the truth. No, no don't get mad at me. I'm, I was raised Lutheran. Yeah, I was raised Lutheran. Luther's, Luther... Luther's uh, idea was not to start a new church, it was to reform the one he was in. Study history. Go to Smithfield. Stand at Smithfield, where they buried the post with the heads of Anabaptists on it for, 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 for miles and miles and miles. What was that about? It was about the fact, listen to me carefully, there is no universal church. Let me help you with this. This is not a universal church. We don't have all authority over all people. Neither does any other church. I'm not a pope. Some of you are shocked. I am not a pope. No, no, no. The reality of the matter is this. The New Testament church is an, is a, is an independent entity with no hierarchical reign over it. Nobody has control. It's a governing body in and of itself. There's no, there's, there's no board off somewhere that's calling the shots. It's, it's a congregational body that makes decisions and, and determinations on the direction that they go in. Okay? So we're not connected in any way, form, or fashion with, with, with something that gave birth to us. Okay? We don't carry the name of a man. Okay, it is, it is, the church doesn't belong to us, we belong to it. And, and that's the proper way for us to look at it. Now, let me say this, and i got one more point, I'm going to tie a knot and close. Please don't laugh at that. So, so Paul, look, Paul, in, 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 in the middle of Philippians, Paul said, finally, brethren, he had two more chapters to go. So, all right, so don't, don't, don't get on to me. I've had people that have said, well, I'm not, I'm through then. I'm not, I'm not going to come. 
Okay, well, let me ask you a question. Where do you draw your line? In your church, where do you draw your line? Would you take, would you take baptism from Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses? Well, no. Well, then you have a line too. You, you, you draw a line somewhere. Everybody draws a line somewhere. So, so because of the fact we draw a line to where we feel like the Bible is, is fairly clear, okay, we draw a line there to distinguish churches of like faith, and you draw yours a little further out, don't, don't get mad at us. That's just where we are. And if God brings you to our church, then He brought you here knowing this is who we were, what we believed, and how we received people. Okay? And so, if He brought you here, He knew that before you came. And so it's all good. Don't, don't, don't. We're not ugly about it. This is just where we're at. And so, so, um, it's nothing, it's nothing to get hyper over. Verse number, um, Three of Matthew. That brings me to my last point. Uh, chapter 3, verse 17, I'm sorry. Matthew 3, verse 17. Listen to this. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. What's the next words? In whom I am well pleased. And so here's, here's where I came in my life as a young boy sitting in front of a pastor talking with him about what I felt was right, and him explaining to me from the Bible, ultimately it came down to this, and that is that, that my goal was to please the Father. Whatever it was that God wanted me to do, I was going to do, because my goal in my life had to be to do what's pleasing to the Father. And so if Jesus was baptized as an example for me to show me that it pleases the Father Father to follow the Lord in baptism, then He led my way. And if this wasn't important, Satan wouldn't fight it so hard. I can talk with people about salvation and they're like, well, preacher, I, yeah, I, I see that. I think that's right. If I talk to them about baptism, they get angry. They get offended. They get mad. It's like I've slapped their mama. Oh, I love your mama. I'm thankful for your mama. I'd never slap your mama. So discussion on baptism is not an attempt to insult you. Wait a minute. I've never said that you weren't sincere. I never made that statement. I've never said that the people that baptized you weren't sincere. I'm just saying from the Bible, scripturally, this is where I'm at. Ron Mackey. Raise your hand, Ron. That's my buddy. I went to Ron's house years ago and I sat down with him and Ron had been baptized. I won't go into all the details of that, but I remember when I sat down with him and he, was, he, he felt strongly about his baptism and I took a Bible and explained to him and I wasn't attacking him or, or anything like that, that I knew he was sincere and even the people that baptized him was sincere. And you know what Ron did? I, I so admire him for this. I so appreciate him. Ron said, yep. Let's do it. And I baptized him in Lake Lowell. Okay. Why would you baptize anybody in Lake Lowell? You're trying to get rid of them. <laughs> trying to get rid of them. And I appreciate that. 
there's a number of people here that have come to me and said, Pastor, I'm not comfortable with my baptism, and I want it to be right. Next Sunday is I Love America Day. We're just going to thank God for America. We'll sing some patriotic songs. We've got our patriotic picnic down at Swan Falls and, and down in the Snake River. Down in the Snake River, uh, we're, we've got our baptism there. And Bill and Georgia are getting baptized. I admire that. Sweet spirit, admire that about people. And, and so grateful, grateful for that. Let me tell you this, listen to me. If God led you to our church, God isn't in heaven right now saying, well, I didn't know that. He's a nut. I mean, he may be saying that, but he's not saying, I didn't know that. And he knew that. And if he led you here, God, God knew. God knew where we stood on biblical baptism. And I want to just encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you were baptized in a church that you look back and you don't think it was a New Testament church in their doctrine or in their demeanor, if I were you, it's not going to make a difference at all whether you go to heaven or not. Baptism isn't salvation, but baptism is important. That's why Jesus walked 75 miles to be baptized of that man. So it's important. And so if I was uncomfortable in any manner, shape, or form with my baptism, I just want to get it right. I just want to... I just want to feel that, I want to feel that in whom I'm well pleased, feeling for submitting my life to that. If you're not comfortable in any way, shape, or form, then talk with me, and we'll be glad to, to help you, and we can take care of it and remove all doubt. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and we do those things which are pleasing in His sight. So this really has nothing to do with me and you. It has something to do with you and Him. And it's only your conscience that can answer the questions as to whether or not you need to be baptized. And there's no pressure, but there's a lot of opportunity to do something that ultimately pleases the Lord. And that's, that's my goal. That's my hope for you. I'm glad somebody helped me when I was young. And I'm just trying to pass on the things that might be a help to you. Let's bow our heads, could we? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Bonnie's going to play something on the piano. Would you do this? Would you ask this question? That's all I'm asking you to do right now. Would you just ask this question? Lord, what would you have me to do concerning my baptism? What would you have me to do concerning my baptism? How can I be well-pleasing in your sight in this decision. Whatever God speaks to your heart, just do it. Just do it. Whatever God lays on your heart, just do it. And you'll be blessed that you did. Public stands are never easy stands. 
but they're important. 